Crisis on Infinite Earths, issues number 10, 11, and 12. This is it. It's the finale. Welcome, time travelers, to the finale of this coverage on Crisis on Infinite Earths. I can't believe how long this has been going on. And I've legitimate uh, I have legitimately not been reading ahead. I've been just reading for the show. So that's why when I finally got to issue nine, I'm looking ahead. I'm so close to the end. I just want to get it over with. I read 10, 11, and 12 straight through, and now we'll cover it here today. So I know I've been going issue by issue, and there, there's been nine different discussions so far, but here for the 10th discussion, we're actually going to cover the three final issues of what I believe is the most important event in comic book history. Well, I should say the most important comic book event in the history of the medium. Maybe that's a better way to put it. Crisis on Infinite Earths. I can't believe it. It's finally over. I think it's, before we get into the issues, I do think it's worth mentioning all of the past episodes where we've covered this. Because let's just say you're new to the Comic Book Time Machine podcast and you're wondering, how can I hear all the rest of the entries into this ongoing coverage? So I'm going to give you the episode number of the Comic Book Time Machine followed by the date it was released. I don't know what date we actually recorded uh, each of these episodes, but the date it was released. And again, if you're a, a long-time listener, you may know all this, but I feel like I, I want to have this be a momentous episode where I can just give total the total history of covering this, this uh, what in the 80s I call a maxi-series. So... Long-time listeners, you'll know this, but in the early days of the comic book time machine, we would do the event coverage in groups of three. So it was myself, Ben Avery, and Daniel Butcher. We would have a big discussion on something else, and then we'd end the episodes by talking about a different event that each of us were covering. So I was covering, of course, Crisis. Uh, Daniel was doing Secret Wars 2, and Ben was covering... Oh, man, I don't think I remember very well. Let me see if I can find out from these notes. What was he covering? No, no. Ben was covering Secret Wars 2. That's why I was confused. And Daniel was covering the Evolutionary War. I don't know if these guys are ever going to talk about the ends of their events. You guys should. Daniel and Ben, if you're listening, you have to give the listeners the finale to the coverage of, of those events. So uh, I'll tell you when we stopped doing group episodes and when I jumped into just doing individual ones because I, I needed to finish this uh, series and I was only reading along for the podcast. And so, I mean, it's shocking. Four years of reading this. Here we go. Episode one of the comic book time machine was released on July 21st, 2014. And that's where I had my first entry. And I covered issue number one. We covered issue number two in episode 17. And it was released on September 18th, 2014. So even that's a pretty big spread, but not as long as we're about to get to uh, in between readings. Issue number three of Crisis was covered on episode 46 of this podcast, released on May 1st, 2015. Issue number four was from episode number 67, and we, we released that on September 24th, 2015. This is crazy. 
And I think this is where now these were these past episodes I just talked about were all event episodes or sorry, group episodes where we talked about our events. Now I'm going to skip to where I just did some solo reviews of each of the issues. So I covered issue seven uh, during episode 89, which was released on September 26th, 2016. I covered issue number eight on episode 110 of this podcast, and that was released last November, November 19th, 2017. And the most recent crisis episode was issue number nine. It was episode 119 from earlier this year, April 12th, 2018. So I'm recording this in September 2018. What I'm I'm saying right now is happening in September. I don't know just because of our release schedule if you're hearing this in September or later in the fall, but... Uh, here we are to cover issues 10, 11, and 12 right now, September 2018. So over four years of reading this series. Now, for even more history on my background with um, Crisis, I was trying to figure this out when I was writing my Goodreads review, but I think it was around 2008 maybe when I first picked this up off the shelf at a bookstore. I was at uh, Barnes & Noble near my work. Uh, where I was working at that time. And uh, at this point, I wasn't using the library I currently use. So when I wanted to read graphic novels, I'd sometimes have to go check them out or take a look at them at a bookstore and then decide, do I want to purchase this or do I want to hold off? And so I'd maybe read a little bit at the stores. Actually, I'd read quite a bit at the stores and and make some decisions. So uh, Crisis, I first picked up, I'm almost positive, in 2008. And I, I think I read maybe up to three issues of that series and then put it down. Then around 2011, I found the copy I now own at Half Price Books, which is a used bookstore here in the Twin Cities. So I started reading it again. But again, I don't think I got very far. I'm not even sure if I got all the way to that third issue again, but it's possible I did, but not too much further than issue three or four. And finally, when we had had this idea to cover the events for comic book time machine. I knew this is the event I have to cover. Now, in hindsight, I wish I hadn't picked Crisis because I think it maybe would have been a better overall experience if I had read it straight through instead of reading it over four years. But I don't know. It is a, a mammoth read, so maybe it was a fitting read for this series. But I'm just so excited to be recording right now and to be finished with Crisis once and for all on the comic book time machine now sooner than later. So, uh, interestingly, I'm just going to say this now. I don't know. I wasn't planning to, but I'll say it now. I was so excited after I finished crisis that I went down to my personal bookshelf where I had been saving for years, infinite crisis, which is, um, mini series that came out. I think it was 20 years. It was celebrating the 20 year anniversary of the original crisis. So a sequel of sorts. Uh, and I, I j- I've already finished that actually. So I, I read that in just a matter of days because I was so excited. And it really is a, a true sequel. There's a lot of carryover from that the 80s classic into the early 2000s uh, event. So I think it's time to dive in. I think I'll still separate this out issue by issue where I'll kind of have the little uh, buffer sound in between the issues. But just for total uh, transparency here, I have read issues 10, 11, and 12 as I'm speaking right now. So I'm going to hit the music. We'll do a little break for you, and then we'll come back with a review of issue number 10. Issue number 10, everybody. Here we go. Issue number 10. I want to remind you that where issue 9 ended, it was looking like Simon 
was about to take a bigger role in the story because he's threatening Lex Luthor and um, I was expecting more from that conflict. But this conflict is resolved within two pages because it turned out that Brainiac had faked his own death. Then he sneaks up behind Simon and kills him. And then at the bottom of the page in this issue, in black and white instead of color, is the separate story happening, which I was surprised by. This is the only issue that do th- that has this separate story happening. And you can see the story is called The Monitor Tapes. So I don't know if this was right, but I chose to read all of the uh, the black and white monitor tape stories all the way through to the end before going back and reading the main story, which is shown in full color. I don't know. Are you supposed to maybe read the, the page straight down and not follow, follow either of the narratives perfectly? I don't know. The monitor tapes is narrated by a woman from Earth. She's uh, She talks about events that we've seen. And then we even get a peek at some events that are yet to come. So she mentions things about specific characters, which I suspect are happening most likely in tie-in issues, some of the individual tie-in issues that uh, I wasn't reading. Uh, the two most interesting takeaways that I got from this monitor tape story is, number one, the fact that the heroes will team up with the villains to fight the anti-monitor before the crisis is over. So that's something I've been speculating about, and here we get confirmation that that will happen. And then number two, as far as I remember, this story shows the first appearance of the Superboy from Earth Prime, uh, who eventually is just known as Superboy Prime, I believe. So back uh, then to the main story, uh, I have to... Now, I should say that... Um, I, w- I want to make a quick correction here to my last episode. So Tula, who is sort of an aqua girl type character, she's still alive, but barely. So it looked like she died in the past uh, issue, but still alive here. So in the early pages, there isn't much to report on necessarily, but we do see various heroes fighting various villains. So then Lex Luthor is commenting to Brainiac about the fact that even though there are more villains and heroes... The, site, the, the fighting seems to be pretty even. So then Brainiac is speculating that this is because the heroes are teaming up together while the villains are, I mean, they're untrusting of each other. They, they're not really cooperating. So uh, I think that's a, just a good um, lesson for all of us to take from this. If you, you, know, you team up with somebody, you can get more done. If you're fighting with them, you're not going to be able to get much done together. So there's a great practical application from Crisis. All right, so then all of a sudden in the story, the Spectre shows up and he speaks to everyone across every remaining Earth, telling them to stop fighting. The Anti-Monitor is still alive and he has traveled to the past, to the dawn of the multiverse, he says. So then Spectre is going to go and try to, oh, sorry, Anti-Monitor is going to go and try to change history, uh, eliminating all positive matter and then leaving only antimatter, which is... His specialty, of course, you know, anti-monitor is from an anti-matter universe. So uh, the Spectre says that all the good guys here and all the bad guys have to team up together because this was, I mean, I, I think it was part of Monitor's original plan that this is how it would happen. If you think back to that core team Monitor built, it was a team of heroes and villains together. So um, let's see here. Half of this new team up, uh, we'll just call it a team up, this huge team up are going to travel to the past to try to stop the anti-monitor there. And then the other half are going to travel to the planet Oa. Um, and so everyone's going to gather up on Earth-1, which, of course, at this time was the main Earth. 
Uh, and there's a, kind of a nice conversation between Earth 2 Superman and Earth 2 Lois. Uh, you know, they're older than their counterparts from Earth 1. Uh, so I'm just kind of reflecting back on their lives. Uh, Alexander Luthor, who you remember is from Earth 3, secretly listens to this conversation between Superman and Lois from Earth 2. But I don't know if anything is supposed to happen because of this. It, it, it just was noteworthy that he was eavesdropping. Uh, soon after this, Superboy Prime shows up. So I like that. I mean, here he's still a hero and a little bit of spoilers for the future of comics. But I do know, based on other things I've read, that uh, Superboy Prime ends up becoming a powerful villain in the DC universe. So uh, here, though, he's just a young, new superhero who is eager to help. So he shows up to help and Superman references an adventure that they had together in DC Comics Presents number 87. And guess what? I have read zero tie-ins to Crisis other than this one story. I like the concept of Superboy Prime so much that I found this issue for cheap on Comixology. So I picked it up. I think I got it for like 99 cents. Uh, in case you don't know too much about Superboy Prime, I'll say that he's from Earth Prime. And traditionally, we would say that Earth Prime is our Earth. But in this case, that commonly held belief is actually proven to be not true because we don't actually have a superpowered hero here on earth in the past if you say super or sorry if you say earth prime that's the place where these comic book stories are being written by people here on this earth so you and me are from earth prime or so people thought but now here is superboy prime who's showing up and he's got superman like powers so we know that Earth Prime is a place that's similar to our Earth because he's the only superpowered being, but still not exactly the same. So, uh, yeah, if you want to go check that out again, it's DC Comics Presents issue number 87. All right, moving on. Uncle Sam gives a motivational speech. And even though I haven't read many stories with Uncle Sam, I, I think I really like this character. I think I might like reading stories about him and his uh his team of heroes. Uh, let's see. What else is happening here? So using a lot of their superpowers, the two teams uh, travel to their two different destinations. And then while this is happening, back on a, back at uh, Atlantis, we get another update on Tula. It's not good, everybody. She dies for real this time. So in the last episode, covering the last issue, I thought she died. This issue starts, she's still alive, but then she dies again. Or, I mean, for real this time. Uh, all right. Back to the main action. Superman, Alexander Luthor, Batman, Wonder Woman, Kid Flash, and others all arrive at the dawn of time. And Antimonitor is there. He's just waiting for them. He has Pariah, who's trapped with him. And uh, through Antimonitor's monologuing, we learn that Pariah's experiment didn't cause the destruction of the multiverse after all. But instead... Uh, he accidentally, Pariah accidentally re released, or you could say unleashed, Anti-Monitor, who then used the experiment for his own purposes. And this whole process started destroying the multiverse. So, kind of a relief for Pariah. It wasn't him ac after all. It wasn't uh, a Pariah accident, but rather a premeditated attack by the Anti-Monitor. So, uh, it's no surprise then to see that Pariah is relieved and... Lady Quark realizes that her anger towards Pry has been misplaced, so that's good. Um, the Antimonitor's goal is to rebuild an antimatter universe. 
So Superman refers to him as Modder here a lot. And I, you know, I've already admitted that I've uh, read through issues 10, 11, and 12 uh, already. So as I'm giving this review, I know what's going to happen in issue 11 and issue 12. And it is weird. There's nonstop, I want to say mix-ups, but maybe it's not mix-up, but nonstop references to the anti-monitor as simply monitor. And But there's also references to him as anti-monitor. So I'm saying anti-monitor to you so that you understand who I'm talking about because at the beginning of this whole event, there was a different character named Monitor. Uh, but it's just something you have to get over. The original Monitor is dead, so when they call anti-monitor Monitor, it's not confusing, but I feel like I'm making it more confusing by talking about it here. So let's just move on. Um, I guess I, I did make a note here that in just a few pages, Spectre is going to call him anti-monitor. So I kind of wish there was some more cohesion with what they're going to call him. But either way, he's a monitor-like character. Here we go. Back to the story. Uh, 50 or more heroes and villains start to attack anti-monitor in this next scene. And it's said that their combined powers could destroy a solar system. Unfortunately, the anti-monitor absorbs the powers of the whole universe, so he's pretty hard to beat. But then if you were going back to the past, and I, I don't know if I mentioned this before, there was the two teams they broke off. One went to the Dawn of Time, and they're fighting the anti-monitor. The other people went to Oa, but not just Oa in present day. They went to ancient Oa. They also are traveling to the past. Um you know, Oa is traditionally thought of as this place where there's it's the center of the DC universe, cosmic-wise. Uh, powerful planet. The Guardians of the Universe are there. This is where the Green Lantern Corps comes from. So, uh, back in ancient Oa, we've got Lex Luthor leading a team. Um, Black Adam is also there. Sinestro is also there. Uh, they're all going to try to stop Krona. Krona is a, an Owen who did an experiment that, that I can't remember if I covered this already, but basically he was trying to see how the universe was created and in dc mythology no one is supposed to look upon the creation of the universe and if you do this bad things will happen so they're going back to remind krona who is a scientist that one of his experiments is going to accidentally create a multiverse and an antimatter universe and so their mission is to stop him from creating these two things but really i'm not exactly sure where that will leave all of these characters uh but doesn't really matter because the villain's this team of villains fails. It's not all villains, but it seems like the villains are kind of leading the pack here. Uh, all they really had to do was destroy this television screen-like machine that Corona was going to look through. But they were fighting so much, uh, fighting so much amongst themselves, uh, and then Corona killed them while they're distracted. So, um, again, as legend goes, Corona peered through the screen and saw a hand at the beginning of time. So now we're going to go back to the Dawn of Time. And here, Antimata reveals that he wanted all of these heroes to come and find him there so that he could absorb their powers. Again, all part of his master plan. Uh, because then, while he's super powerful, it's going to be his hand that Krona ends up seeing. And he will use uh, his powers to make the antimatter universe the supreme universe over the positive universe. Uh, but the, the, the Spectre is still fighting. He's still there. He's still trying to stop the Antimonitor. And he absorbs all of the powers of the magical heroes in order to fight back against the Antimonitor. Um, there's this interesting line that says about the Spectre, 
He sees worlds that have never existed and never will. He sees shapes and colors and patterns and concepts undreamt of even by his master. Uh, so while this is being said, you know, you can kind of imagine the whole multiverse and the else worlds, these what if stories. So in this case, Spectre kind of reminds me of the watcher from the Marvel universe. But then as these two powerful sides are in conflict, Spectre versus the Antimonitor, the universe explodes and the narration tells us that from the dawn of creation comes death. It is the end of all that was. And then it just says to be continued. Dot, 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 question mark. And that's the end of issue or issue 10. And now it's time to move on to issue 11 and see what happens next. Here we go. All right. Well, like I said, in this last issue, the universe explodes. And the first page, the first page of this issue shows that what had been many has now become one. You know, what had been the multiverse has now become just one Earth. And it appears that the universe has been recreated, but without the multiverse uh, concept. Uh, unfortunately, in this version, things are put back together in the wrong way. Here's some examples. We see Earth 2, Clark Kent. He's the older version I was talking about. Uh, in during the issue number 10 review. Uh, and he's expecting to see a different boss at his work. You know, he works for the Daily Star, uh, but when he gets to work, he's at the Daily Planet, and there's Perry White. Uh, it turns out that the discrepancy lies in the fact that he is now living on Earth-1. All of a sudden, the Earth-1 Clark is there at the Daily Planet, and he sees an older version of himself, and he has to pretend that this Earth-2 Clark is actually his uncle, because... Otherwise, that's going to be kind of confusing for all of his co-workers why there's an older version of himself there. So together, uh, the two Clarks decide to fly to New York where they know they will find the warp zone bridge between Earths. And I cannot remember if that phrase has ever been used in this series before today or before this issue. But there it is. They still uh, have memories of uh, their conflict with the monitor. So they fly uh, to New York, and they're talking about this fight between Spectre and the Anti-Monitor. Uh, again, they're still referring to him as Monitor, but we'll try to move past that. There, uh, there are some missing parts to their memory, though. They remember the strange weather and other symptoms of the multiverse collapsing, but the world around them doesn't seem to remember the crisis. So, for example, Clark's co-workers didn't remember that there was just a huge mammoth fight with super beings. Uh, Clark just woke up in his office as if nothing had happened right before he ran into the older version of Clark. Uh, let's see here. They pass by a billboard that makes them pause because it references the twin cities of Keystone City and Central City. But this mystifies it because Keystone is from Earth 2 and we know that Earth, uh, Central City is from Earth 1. So they go and find Jay Garrick. As a reminder, Jay Garrick is the Earth 2 Flash. Uh, but when they get to his house, Jay's wife recognizes Earth-1 Superman instead of Earth-2 Superman, even though she's been friends with the Earth-2 Superman for years. Uh, and again, Jay Garrick and, and his wife are supposed to be from Earth-2, so this is very weird that she recognizes the younger Clark. But luckily, Jay does recognize the Earth-2 Superman. So then they start talking about how the universes are combining in unexpected ways and together earth one superman earth two superman earth two flash and earth one kid flash use the cosmic treadmill 
to travel to a parallel Earth. Uh, this sounds all crazy, but cosmic treadmill is something the Flash uses. Uh, apparently, running fast enough can break through the barrier into parallel Earths. And so uh, they do what they usually do to travel to these alternate universes, but they end up finding nothingness. There isn't. They find that there are no other Earths. There's only just this one Earth. And it appears that time has been re- rewritten. Uh, we, we hear about how the universes have been realigned. And then there's a brief scene with Rip Hunter, who's known as a Time Master. Uh, he confirms all the stuff that they're speculating on. So they're, it's two separate scenes. Like Rip Hunter never talks to Superman. But the things that Superman and Flash are talking about end up getting confirmed by Rip Hunter. Uh, the se- scene... Uh, the next scene here is uh, a scene in which all the heroes are meeting together in Titan Tower. Uh, they're coming up, they're all coming to the same conclusion about what's happening, about this realignment. Uh, and it appears that any heroes that were engaged in that final battle uh, where there was a what's being called a universal rebirth. It's a universal rebirth event. So if they were there at the dawn of time uh, and they were there for the rebirth event, They've maintained their memories of their past lives. But strangely, some heroes were allowed to continue living even though they don't technically exist in this new, uh, I guess you could say, an amalgamated world. Not the amalgam comics, but an amalgamated version of of these different Earths. So, for example, you've got Helena Wayne here. She's known as a huntress. And she's the daughter of the Earth 2 Bruce Wayne. But the Earth 2 Bruce Wayne never existed in this new version there is no timeline where he ever had a daughter, so how is she still there? Uh, so things like this are popping up, and um, you know, where people shouldn't exist. I think another example would be Captain Marvel from Earth S, uh, the character now known as Shazam. That's Captain Marvel, or Uncle Sam from Earth X. They talk about how they can't get back to their original Earth because they're they're just not there. They aren't. They, there never was an original Earth for them. So in this new version, Shazam. And Uncle Sam always existed in the history of this Earth. So then Harbinger comes back. Apparently she's been repowered after this universal rebirth. And she explains that the irony of a cosmic rebirth is that there are many paradoxes and not all of them can be explained. So that's basically the DC writers having an easy way to do whatever they want without having to explain it. So uh, that would also explain why some characters with no world still exist. Superman of Earth 2. Superboy of Earth Prime is still around. Lady Quark, Pariah, uh, the Dick Grayson of Earth 2 is there. Huntress of Earth 2, who we've already talked about. So uh, Harbinger gives more explanation. I've got a, a, not a long quote, but here's a quote from her. In the battle with the Anti-Monitor, the universe was reborn from the dawn of time. In this new universe, the multiverse never existed. One Earth with one consistent past, present, and future. So I do know just from my own knowledge of comic book history that that was really the goal from the DC higher-ups with the crisis event. They wanted to clean up what they felt like was a convoluted history uh, in their comics. They wanted to clean up the timeline. And so they, instead of having a multiverse, which I think is awesome, they wanted to just have one Earth in which all these past stories happened there. So, uh, well, actually, no, that's not how they did it. They just, I think it's as if some stories just never happened. So uh, basically what she's describing here, Harbinger, that is, She's describing the goal of DC comic editors. Harbinger says that the 
they only remember the changes because they were fighting Antimatter at the dawn of time before the changes were made. Uh, so they were there early enough to to keep the memories. And then there are other scenes that happen after this. And I kind of feel like I just want to skim over them a little bit uh, because they can all be summarized as basically various characters coming to terms with the changes uh, involved with having just one Earth. And then there are a couple scenes with the Antimonitor returning to this one Earth. He's, he says he wants to finally finish his destructive mission. Uh, the sky turns red again. We know that means bad news. The heroes get ready for the final battle because we know this is the penultimate issue of this series. Uh, as the only remaining Earth gets sucked into the antimatter universe, they're all getting ready to fight the Antimonitor. So what do I mean by this? Okay, Antimonitor, of course, he's from the antimatter universe. He's pulling the le- the one and only Earth that's left over into the antimatter universe. Now, this is different than parallel Earths. It's, I don't even know how to explain it. I I guess you just think there's a positive side and then a negative or positive matter, antimatter. They're not parallel universes, or are they? I don't know. I guess I don't even know because this series has eliminated the multiverse, but we are still dealing with an antimatter universe and a positive matter universe. Oh, so anyways, let's just let's follow the story. We'll see if maybe it makes more sense by the end. The positive matter Earth that's remaining gets sucked into the antimatter universe, and then the issue ends, and also we get teased with uh, the what the next issue is going to be called. The title of the next issue is going to be the Final Crisis. Which is interesting because that's also the name of a 2008 event in DC Comics. Uh, the Final Crisis is, I, I don't know if it's literally a trilogy, but I, you've got Crisis on Infinite Earths. And then 20 years later, you get Infinite Crisis, which is a direct sequel. I've never read Final Crisis, but I imagine that's a sequel to Infinite Crisis. But I could be totally wrong. I, I think that's true, but I don't know. And again, Final Crisis took place in 2008, and I'm yet to have read it. So that's where the issue ends. Which means, everybody, I'm going to hit the music, and we're going to get to the last issue of this series. So here we go. Let's not waste time. Let's do it. Issue number 12, the end of this ongoing, long uh, coverage of Crisis on Infinite Earths. Let's dive right in. So the Anti-Monitor starts this issue by monologuing. He mentions the deaths of Supergirl and... The Barry Allen Flash, which happened issues ago, but uh, none of the heroes actually knew that the Flash was dead. So this is the first they're hearing of it. Kid Flash, who's Wally West, uh, will eventually become Flash later on, uh, but uh, he's taking the news especially bad because this is his his mentor. But Flash dying is really the catalyst to get Wally West to become the new Flash, and he is Flash for 20 years after this until eventually Barry Allen does come back. Uh, so across the globe, we see heroes teaming up to fight anti-monitors, shadow demons. Those shadow demons are back. They had a big presence in the early issues, and here they are again. But then meanwhile, the mystic heroes, you know, the ones with the magical powers, they're all trying to resurrect the specter who we saw. Oh, I never knew he was dead, but he was in that big final battle a couple of issues ago. <clears throat> and then there are some space-bound heroes who are teaming up with Brainiac, who is, of course, a villain. Uh to also, but everybody has similar goals. Stop the anti monitor from ultimately destroying the positive matter universe. Um, so now they're over on Cord, which is apparently 
an antimatter world. And there, Kid Flash finds Barry's costume and his ring. So this is going to really set up Wally to take on the role of the Flash. So then back in space, Brainiac brings that team of heroes that he was teaming up with to Darkseid and asks, and he asks Darkseid to help in this mission against the Antimonitor. Okay, so the, uh, we're going to be going back and forth a lot here because this is just how the scenes are broken down. So then we got to go back to Quard now, and the Antimonitor finally appears himself rather than all these shadow demons because all along we were seeing the heroes fight the shadow demons. Well, now it's the real big bad Antimonitors here. Uh, it has a real feeling of this final showdown as I'm reading here. Uh, the magical heroes, you know, elsewhere are successful. They use their mystic energies to cast away the shadow demons. So there, uh, you know, first I was saying that they were trying to raise Spectre. So I guess I shouldn't say that. I, I don't know if they were successful in resurrecting him, but they somehow use their magic powers to cast away the shadow demons. So there it is. Uh, while the heroes, so while this is happening with the shadow demons, the heroes are still combating the antimonitor all in an effort to distract him. So, you know, we have, as we're reading this, we've been seeing scenes in which well-known heroes are being killed, uh, but the battle is far from over. We've got Harbinger, Alexander Luthor, then the new Dr. Light shows up again. She was there earlier in some issues and hasn't had a huge presence uh, up until right now. Uh, so, again, Alexander, Harbinger, Dr. Light are teaming up. Harbinger says that we are about to see the reason that the monitor, this is the good monitor, created the new Dr. Light. Okay, so what happens next is a little confusing. I'm going to try to describe it. If it doesn't make sense, don't be alarmed. Comic book logic is happening here. So here we go. Dr. Light absorbs the solar energy of a nearby star that happens to be powering the anti-monitor. Now keep in mind, we're over here in the antimatter universe. They're on cord. So while anti-monitor is weakened by this solar energy blast from Dr. Light. Alex Luthor uses his power blast against the Antimonitor. I don't think I even knew that he had power blasts. Maybe I did. I don't remember. Then someone named the Negative Woman comes out of nowhere to help. I don't know if we've ever even seen this character in any issues before because I read these issues so few and far between. So much time passes that I, I can't remember and keep all the... I can't remember what happened past issues. I'm not keeping everything straight. So... This might not be out of nowhere, but as I read issue 12, I was like, who? Negative woman. I don't even know who that is in the first place. Secondly, has she been in crisis so far? I don't know. Thirdly, where was she when they were making the plan? I mean, I've seen Dr. Light there. I saw Alex Luthor, but uh, okay. She comes. She helps. She uses some sort of radioactive power that she has against the antimatter. So you can see all these different things are happening to weaken the antimatter. Then Dr. Light uses all of the immense energy that she has been absorbing and she focuses it in on one powerful blast to the anti-monitor's chest. And she kills him. And the text says, the text of the comic book says, that all of his internal organs burn through his flesh and armor. So basically he's burning from the inside. So this armor idea, this uh, maybe I should wait to bring this up, but uh, I'll say a little bit about it now. And I think I have more to say about it later. But uh, the anti-monitor has appeared in different like he's looked different in different parts of the story. I think that ultimately what we've been seeing is just kind of an outer shell. It's not even his real being. It's all this armor. So what is underneath there? We do get a chance to see later in this issue. What's underneath all this armor? Uh, okay. So we talked about his organs burning. Moving on. The Earth is still stuck in the antimatter universe. So luckily, 
Alex Luthor somehow absorbs anti-monitor's powers. Remember I said a lot of this doesn't make sense, but we're just going to follow along. He, he absorbs the powers, and he absorbed them when he blasted him. Again, I don't get it. He Usually you think of you're expelling energy when you're blasting someone, but somehow by making contact with that blast, he absorbed anti-monitor's powers, and now he's able to make a bridge back to the positive matter universe. Does it make sense? No. But the story has to end, and that's how they're going to do it. So, seems like everything's going to be great. They're going to get uh, everybody back to the positive matter universe, but not so fast. Antimonitor still alive. Then he absorbs all of his shadow demons back into himself to repower himself. But the heroes are still trying to slide Earth back to the positive matter universe. And they need to stall the antimonitor. So, Earth 2 Superman who is, again, I don't know if I really emphasized this before, but he's pretty sad about losing his Earth. But not just his Earth, he lost his Lois. Uh, Earth 2 Lois and him were married, and they had a lifelong love. So he's pretty bummed out. He volunteers to hold Anti-Monitor back. I think the implication is here that this is a sacrifice. He's probably not going to make it back to the positive matter universe. So when Anti-Monitor, Anti-Monitor starts to weaken... Before the fight has even begun between him and Earth 2 Superman, we get some inner monologue from Earth 2 Superman. He's thinking to himself that this was always part of their plan, that the Anti-Monitor would absorb his shadow demons, and apparently the magical heroes enchanted the shadow demons so that they would kill the Anti-Monitor when he reabsorbed them. Okay, I I don't know what to even say about this because... (laughs) Uh, I don't think we've seen... I could be wrong. I don't think we've seen Antimonitor absorb the Shadow Demon, so I don't know how they would have assumed that would happen. But it does feel like, and as I'm reading through this description that I wrote out to cover this issue on the show, it does kind of seem like this issue, even though it was fun to read, is a bunch of nonsense. Just a bunch of stuff they're just making up to wrap up the story. And maybe I feel that way because I've been reading these issues over the course of four years, and I have no idea what happened in issue two or issue three. Uh, but I mean, when you read things like it was always part of their plan, he would absorb the shadow demons and then that would kill him. And uh, I just kind of felt like, okay, it's wrapping up. I'm happy it's almost over, but this doesn't make a lot of sense. Let's put that aside and talk about Superboy Prime, a character I really like. So Superboy of Earth Prime decides that he too should stay with the Earth 2 Superman so at the same time, we find out, uh, or at the same time that Superboy Prime and Superman from Earth 2 are, are about to go fight Anti-Monitor, uh, right then, Alex Luthor, uh, we've, or he reveals that he has to close the rift or the opening or the doorway to the positive matter universe from the inside. So he also is going to stay behind. So, so far, we've got three sacrifices coming up. Uh, Superboy Prime, uh, Earth 2 Superman, and Alexander Luthor. They're all going to be stuck inside this antimatter universe. Um, okay, but let's now move over back to Apocalypse. You know, this is Darkseid and Brainiac chatting about how they can stop the antimonitor. So the heroes are there. They're watching everything that's happening in the antimatter universe. Somehow Darkseid has the ability to see what's going on over there. And then we get an explanation and it makes no sense and I'm just okay with it because we're on issue 12 and I can't wait to finish the series. Darkseid explains that his technology allows him to use Alexander Luthor as a conduit and that they are seeing through his eyes. Well, 
this doesn't make sense on lots of levels. First of all, Alexander Luthor is from a totally different universe. He's from Earth 3. Why would Darkseid happen to have that kind of technology? Does it have something to do with Alexander Luthor's antimatter powers? Uh, I don't even know. There's no no questions are asked about this. It's just taken as fact that that's okay because Darkseid has advanced technology. So that's what we should do too. Let's just take it as fact. All right. So we're now we're watching what's happening over in the antimatter universe. Superman and Superboy are pounding on antimonitor, and while he's really weakened, or even though he is really weakened, he still just won't stay down. He cannot be killed. Nothing they do can stop him. And Finally, as Darkseid's watching this, he decides that he's going to use Alex as a weapon. And then, again, somehow, that makes no sense with no explanation. Darkseid is able to shoot powerful energy blasts out of Alexander Luthor's eyes, sending the weakened Antimonitor into a star. I mean, this is a super blast. He shoots Antimonitor uh, straight into a star where Antimonitor burns and is killed. Darkseid kills him. Darkseid is the hero of the story. Um, he does admit, Darkseid that is, that he only helped to protect himself and his world, but it's kind of crazy that they made Darkseid the hero of the book. Um, now, I haven't, like I mentioned uh, previously, I haven't read Final Crisis, but if I remember correctly, just from hearing about it, uh, Darkseid is the villain in that story. I believe that's true. So I... If that is true, it's an interesting juxtaposition to have him act as a hero in this story, which is called The Final Crisis. That's a, the title of this chapter, even though the overall story is Crisis on Infinite Earths. So the title of this chapter is called Final, The Final Crisis. And later in 2008, in a different event called Final Crisis, Darkseid's going to be a villain. So uh, I, I guess in a, another way, uh, letting Darkseid kill the Antimatter also allows all the heroes to keep blood off their hands. They're still good guys. They still haven't murdered. Um, I mean, they're giving credit because they helped weaken Antimatter, but Darkseid really sealed the deal. So, those are all the things that were going through my head as I was reading it. All right, that makes sense. They let Darkseid kill him, and that's how it's going to wrap up. But, not so fast. Because <laughs> once again, for who knows how many times in a row now, Antimatter, who seemed to be dead, is coming back to life. And at this point, he doesn't really even have a body anymore. His armor's gone. He's more of like a force of nature. He looks like a living fireball. He attacks. Uh, he's attacking again. He's just kind of flying towards Superman of Earth 2 and Superboy Prime. And Superman of Earth 2 flies at him, punches him, and shatters the fireball like it's a glass ornament off of a Christmas tree. He just punches it, and it sends it, it sends this fireball back into the star, uh, which now for whatever reason, sending the anti-monitor energy into the star that had just previously burned him up. Well, this time, it's causing the star to explode. It's on meltdown here. I don't know if this is how it actually works in the cosmos, but that's what's happening. So Superman, Earth 2. Superboy from Earth Prime. They're coming to terms with the fact that they're about to be killed by this explosion. This blast is going to erupt soon. Nothing they can do until... Alexander Luther reveals he has another power. He can actually, and this is a weird one, but he can make his body into a portal to another world outside of the multiverse. So I think the understanding is the multiverse doesn't exist anymore. So let's just call it a pocket universe. Somehow, Alex Luthor, 
can make his body into a doorway to the pocket universe. So to prove it, he reveals, and this is crazy, to prove what he's saying to the Superman of Earth 2 and Superboy Prime, he reveals that all along he's been keeping Lois Lane of Earth 2 inside this pocket universe, inside his body, to keep her safe. Uh, so she walks out, she greets her husband, and then to avoid their deaths, Earth 2 Superman, Earth 2 Lois, Superboy Prime, they all go through the portal, and then Alex tells him, or tells them, that they can all live there happy, happily ever after. Um, I think the assumption is that Alex himself will also be able to make it into this pocket universe somehow, even though he is the, he's the doorway, he's the portal, but he's also somehow going to be able to get inside there. I don't know how that's true or possible, but there it is. Um, it's also kind of weird that they can't get back to the new Earth this way. Because just previously he had had some powers that were similar to that. Uh, but whatever. It kind of feels like DC has made a heaven of sorts for these characters. Like they're not going to use them anymore. Or at least for a long time. But here now they can live someplace. So uh, we then get what feels like an epilogue. Even though there is actually an actual epilogue at the end here. So uh, we get a little bit of an epilogue feel. Where we find out some heroes have died from everything we just read and some have lived and we see Wally West decide that he wants to be the new Flash to honor Barry Allen's memory. Uh, we see Harbinger working on the monitor tapes and and uh, but when I read that issue, I didn't realize it was Harbinger who was making the tapes. So I must have just been mistaken there. Maybe I should have realized that. Uh, so Harbinger's the one that's been making the monitor tapes. Uh, she's documenting everything that's happening on this new Earth. Uh, she's there with Priya and Lady Quark, and they all decide that the three of them are going to explore this new world together. Okay, then we go to the true epilogue of the story. We see Psycho Pirate, who has been here since issue one, causing trouble. I think he was there at issue one. I believe that's true. Uh, and he's one of the only people that remembers that the crisis ever happened. He remembers that the multiverse and the antimatter were were all there recently, but no one else seems to remember. And again, now this is. I'm about to give you information I know from outside of reading this, but after this story, DC rebooted their universe, basically. And so everyone ignores the fact that there was a crisis event that destroyed the multiverse. They just kind of pretend like there never was a multiverse. There's things that they have to remember, for example, Barry Allen's sacrifice and Supergirl getting killed. But overall, they kind of just... Actually, I don't know if they do remember Supergirl getting, kill, getting killed in this story. Well, anyways, they uh, from this point... They move forward and no one remembers the multiverse. No one remembers exactly what the crisis entailed except for Psycho Pirate. He's one of the only characters in the whole DC continuity that remembers every time continuity is changed. So there it is. The end of Crisis on Infinite Earths. We did it, everybody. Thank you for joining me. It's been a great ride. I am going to end this with some listener feedback because I have one email about this, but... uh, Again, thank you. I know it's been a long road. You've stuck with me through thick and thin. So I appreciate that. Five stars. I'm giving this this series five stars. I know there's parts that were crazy, parts that made no sense. I know it was long. Some parts were boring. I didn't know all the characters. But this is a historical artifact in the comic book medium. It has every character. Um, I mean, most of the main characters have a big impact that creates brand new characters that are really cool and uh have interesting storylines and character arcs uh so there's good things and bad things about the series but you can't 
deny it the uh, impact it's had on comic books in general. So, with all that being said, five stars. Congratulations, Crisis on Amber Earth. You get the highest rating possible on Goodreads. So now, let's uh, go to some feedback. So, listeners, you may know that I have another podcast called The Sci-Fi Christian, which you can find at thescifichristian.com. And after I released the first six reviews, or first six issues of... How do I say this? The first uh, six uh, parts of this review, you know, back on, on the original podcast, Comic Book Time Machine, uh, in six different chunks, I covered the six issues of Crisis on Infinite Earths, the first six, that is. Uh, well, after I finished that, I combined those six episodes, or I don't even know what you want to say, those little parts together, and I made... Episode 529 of the Sci-Fi Christian, Crisis on Infinite Earths Part 1. And that's covering issues number 1 through 6. And I always had plans to eventually, someday, do Crisis on Infinite Earths Part 2. So I will do that. But, of course, first, these episodes have to appear here in the comic book time machine. But uh, after I released that uh, Crisis on Infinite Earths Part 1 back on December 19th, 2016, in the Sci-Fi Christian uh, feed, we had one of our listeners from over there write in about Crisis. And it's interesting because I don't think I've ever got feedback through the Comic Time Machine feed to Crisis. So I wanted to address Mike's feedback right here. So we got Mike from Australia who wrote in. He, uh, well, he'll explain this in his email, but on some episode in the past, I don't remember when, I mentioned, I wonder what it was like for people reading Crisis when it first came out. Did they know? That history was happening right before their eyes. Did they know what was going to happen afterwards? So he's going to touch on that. He writes a nice long email, but I'm glad to read it in full because it's the only feedback I have about this event. So here we go. This is Mike from Australia. He says, Hi, Matt. I'm enjoying your walkthrough of Crisis on Infinite Earths and the rest of Ben and yours podcasts. Sci-Fi Christian is a staple of my pod listening In the first part of your Crisis pod, you wondered about what fans knew about the impact of the series. I know a little about that because I was an occasional comic reader at the time. The simple answer is that the absence of specialty stores and access to fanzines, I'd guess that most fans knew very little. I was aware of the the miniseries due to house ads, the DC editorial pages, and crossover references to the comics I did read. Uh, Swamp Thing was my only regular DC book, but because that was the Alan Moore, sorry, Alan Moore era, I only picked up the occasional issue of something like Batman in 1985 and pre Dark Knight Returns. Batman was not cool. Oh, that's kind of sad. I mean, I, I mean, if you think about Batman now, he's one of the, I mean, he's maybe the primary character in DC. I, I know Superman is also uh, in that debate, but I feel like he's the main guy. The the highest selling comics are almost always Batman lately. So interesting to hear that in the early to mid eighties, Batman wasn't such a popular character, but it's hard for me to really, I mean, I'm trusting you, Mike, that this is true, but I don't know if I knew that he ever had lost his popularity that badly, but I do know comics have kind of, uh, they, there's always an ebb and flow to popularity. And so, uh, it must be that case. I, for me growing up, one of my first exposures to Batman was the 1966 Batman TV show, uh, the Adam West Batman. So uh, that between the that uh, between that series and the late 60s and this time, you know, he had 15 years. So 
yeah, I guess it makes sense. Twenty, no, fifteen to twenty years. That maybe the result of the campy nature of that show led to some bad Batman stories. So, all right, well, I'll read on in Mike's email. He says, in 1985, I lived in Perth, Western Australia, the edge of the universe comics-wise. Availability of comics came down to what books hadn't already been sold in the U.S. or the other Australian states. With only the newsstands to rely on, committing the crisis was a little risky. My previous experience with a series of this sort, Marvel's first Secret Wars, was that I only that I had only a slim chance of getting the whole series, for a comic reader of the time, it was pretty standard to miss two or more issues of a month, or sorry, a monthly book in any given year. That is interesting. I think I probably had some similar experiences when I was a comic book reader uh, in the early '90s, back around the age of ten. Uh, that you know, I know that there were now that I can look back and see what comics came out at that time and compare it to the com- comic books I was reading. I know there were uh, characters who I was following that I missed issues of. Uh, and of course, you can always all just look at the numbers and see. Huh, I'm missing number three eighty nine. What happened there? But uh, yeah, it's kind of interesting to think about how it was just a a way of life that you would often miss uh, books throughout the year. So, all right, uh, I'll read that last part again. I'll I'll get back into it. So, for a comic reader at the time, it was pretty standard to miss two or more issues of a monthly book in any given year. When you did manage to pick up the next available issue, you would have to piece together the ongoing plot from clues along the way. This meant it was almost inevitable that I would only ever see nine or ten issues of Crisis. Also, I have my doubts about big event books. Marvel's first Secret Wars book was pretty horrible. Now, at first, when I read his email, I wanted to demand an apology. Secret Wars, number one, that wasn't horrible. That was great. So I decided to go look at my Goodreads review to see what I had thought about it because I read that uh, back in 2015. And it turns out I had only given it a three-star rating. In my head, I feel like I would have given it five stars. But when I actually read it, only gave it three stars. And I maybe it suffered from just the uh, the way storytelling was in the uh, early 80s. But uh, I don't know. When I look back on it, though, I think that's a pretty cool event that uh, you know Marvel, for the first time ever, had this idea to do a crossover. And in case you don't know exactly what I mean by that, I'm saying that... Um, if you think about Avengers Infinity War, that's a story inside the Marvel Cinematic Universe where finally all these different characters you've seen are teaming up together. I mean, Civil War was sort of borderline that also, but uh, especially Infinity War. Well, th- that's a that's the crossover equivalent or the, uh, I guess, the movie equivalent of a crossover or the movie equivalent of, an, of a comic book event, uh, which didn't exist before that. Before Secret Wars in 1984, you would have each character uh, being its own comic and maybe sometimes there'd be a team up, but there wouldn't be a massive crossover event where all the characters are involved. So Secret Wars was a pioneer in that. So because of that, I don't think it's horrible, but looking at my own score, I can see that the uh, the grade was not very high. Maybe I should re- reread Secret Wars 1. All right, let's read on from Mike's email here. He says, Towards the end of 1985, a specialist comic store opened in Perth and I was able to pick up back issues of both or of books like Dark Knight Watchmen and Crisis. Late in 1986, I moved to Glasgow, Scotland, which at the time was one of the comic book capitals of the world. The shop where I bought my books was owned by Alan Grant or John Wagner, I forget which, who were part of the British invasion and writing one of the Batman titles. Grant Morrison was starting to make a splash. I overheard a lot of people dropping his name at the store. I may even have bumped into him in the pre-internet era who knew what a comic book writer looked like. Anyway, 
Although there was some funny comics chats in the shop, I don't remember anyone dropping any hints about the future of DC. Thanks again to you and Ben for the great pod. Best wishes for 2017, Mike. So, Mike, thank you. I mean, I'm reading this here in September 2018. Uh, but I did have a great 2017. So thanks for thanks for sending me those uh, well wishes. And, and this year has been great as well. So, Mike, I just want to wish you a happy 2018. And I'll jump ahead and just say happy 2019 as well. Uh, so, Mike, thank you very much for writing in. I really appreciate it. Love that we had some feedback for this ongoing series. And it was really fun to hear uh, sort of a, a international viewpoint on what was happening back then. Uh, so, again, thank you, Mike, for this feedback. And with that, I think it's okay to wrap this up. Here we go. Let me go get the music. This is crazy, but this is happening right here, right now. The comic book time machine is bringing a close to Crisis on Infinite Earths. Everybody, thank you again for joining us. <laughs> I hit the music too early. Wow. I really built that up and then ruined it, but I think I'm just going to keep it just like that. So again, thank you very much, listeners. Feel free to write in any feedback. Let us know what you want us to cover next. Now that this event is over, um, definitely write in and harass Daniel and Ben Avery about the events that they've left unfinished. I want to hear how Evolutionary War turned out. How did Secret Wars 2 turn out? We got to find out. So I guess that's all from here. I'm Matt Anderson, and I am signing off. <laughs>